Hey listeners, welcome to another episode on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza, with Grace Oham. Freedom doesn't mean free. Women's rights are continually under threat. Universal access to abortion has been a guaranteed constitutional right for all women in the U.S. since the Supreme Court ruling of 1973. Yet over the subsequent 50 years, this right had been under constant attack from the fundamentalist Christian right who have continually agitated within the Republican Party to chip away at the Roe versus Wade ruling at every opportunity by advocating for stringent restrictions on the functioning of clinics and the doctors who practice in them. Access to illegal abortion in many states where restrictions apply have become a theoretical rather than a practical right for the majority of women in those states, particularly women from less well-off backgrounds, who cannot afford the cost of traveling the vast distances involved in order to access medical support for an unwanted pregnancy. A draft ruling released in March by Justice Samuel Alito of the Supreme Court that was almost certainly deliberately leaked stated that the Roe v. Wade judgment was egregiously wrong from the start to make the right to abortion a constitutional issue and that laws on abortion should instead be decided at federal or state level. The leaked draft was no doubt intended to put the entire country on warning and to prepare the ground for some 25 states who have been the most vocal opponents of abortion rights, that they intend to make terminations illegal overnight and the process depriving over 18 million women of an inalienable right. This retrogressive step to their reproductive rights will mean that many of these women will have no alternative except to resort to the dangerous methods of the past in order to terminate an unwanted pregnancy as it's just not realistically possible to ban abortion outright. Neither is it possible to prevent some women losing their lives as a result of the Supreme Court's decision, yet no mention was made of this in the judgment, leading to the realization that women's lives were not high on their agenda. The inexorable shift to the right followed on from the election of Republican Ronald Reagan in the early 1980s with an interlude for the slightly more liberally benign Clinton and Obama years. Reagan's political activism began when he was elected governor of California in the 1960s and he adopted an increasingly anti-libertarian stance throughout this period and then into his two terms as president. Curiously for a man obsessed with a macho tough guy image as a Hollywood film star in a previous incarnation, Reagan sat out World War II by cultivating his image as a B-movie actor, whilst much older stars such as Clark Gable enlisted, thereby contributing to the war effort and seriously damaging his acting career in the process. The appointment of conservative justices to the Supreme Court was initiated under Reagan, 
and continued with both Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. and most notoriously under Donald Trump's chaotic four-year term, which saw the court take on a predominantly pro-life bias when it came to women's rights. Of increasing importance and influence during this period was the growing ultra-conservative factions aligned to this illiberal reactionary governments and their social agendas. Yet, it is these groups that are in the minority when it comes to women's rights in the US, as is the case in Europe and indeed most of the world. The vast majority of the populations of individual countries are very much pro-choice in the abortion debate. People are rightly concerned that it is a handful of judges in the judicial system in many countries where the voter has no say whatsoever that are deciding on women and minority rights rather than the elected politicians. That the inevitable decision from U.S. Supreme Court in June to overturn Roe v. Wade will probably be the enduring legacy of Donald Trump's brief presidency in that the three conservative judges appointed by him were instrumental in swaying the court's verdict. Despite the ruling, less than one-third of the U.S. population, including those in staunchly religious states, actually wanted the law changed. The overturning abortion rights is nowhere near the top of most people's priorities. They are far more concerned with the state of the economy, the climate crisis, and the ever-growing threat of war that may yet engulf the country. This life-changing and life-threatening legislation has therefore been passed by less than a handful of appointed justices against the will of about 170 million people who are eligible to vote. The administration's appointment to the Supreme Court and the vociferous attacks by the pro-life lobby that ultimately culminated in this retrogressive judgment illustrates the perils of complacency in taking women's rights for granted when the pendulum can swing back to where it started from within a period of 50 years. This verdict will embolden those on the conservative right wing of the Republican Party and the evangelical religious organizations to push for even more reactionary legislation to outlaw what they see as un-American that could eventually see same-sex marriage, LGBTQ rights, and access to contraception proscribed by the Supreme Court. Evidence shows that none of these issues feature prominently in the majority of American people's everyday lives, but future judgments and changes in the law will have a destabilizing effect on the cohesion of American society. The United States has become ever more polarized into two competing countries, similar to what it was in the era of the Civil War. There is less and less that is united in the country that could be more accurately be renamed the disunited states as there is now a wide and fractious geopolitical divide that has opened up across the country between the liberal, progressive cities and states on the east and west coasts, the more conservative and evangelical states in the south and the midwest. It is clear from the decision of the Supreme Court that the pendulum has swung back to where it was pre-Roe versus Wade, 
Women will suffer because of the fundamentalists who are determined to uphold the right to life of a fetus. This in a country where there is a right to bear arms and use them. Men, women and even children are killed in huge numbers and the phrase school massacres goes unnoticed and barely raises a weary sigh unless the death toll exceeds a previous record number of victims. At times, the abortion debate or dictate drifts into the realms of the absurd if scrutinized by rational minds in the clear light of day, particularly when it boils down to men telling women what they can and cannot do with their own bodies. The pro-life argument is essentially about dictating to women what has been decided by those who feel that they have a moral right to dictate to others. High on the list of absurdities is the unreformed conviction that it takes a man's wisdom to put wayward women on the straight and narrow, as instigated by men and compliant women associates, nothing less than an attack on the fundamental rights of women have occurred in this country with the overturning of the right to abortion. It is not sufficient to just have an opinion that opinion must be forced onto others either by protesting and shaming women outside clinics or petitioning for a change in the law. As another extreme, using violence as a means to an end is also sanctified when an unborn life is at stake. As the leaked prejudgment comment from the court stated, with more than a hint of the hands made tale, abortion was seen more as a threat to the domestic supply of infants, an allusion to the unsubtle assertion that it's a woman's primary role to keep breeding in order to prevent the domestic population falling below a certain level, as is occurring in a number of countries in the West. What has been a hard-won right for women to control their own bodies after years and even decades of struggle can be just as easily lost. Freedom does not necessarily mean women are free to make their own choices. A reversion to the dark ages of coat hanger abortions, unwanted children born into poverty with mothers unable to support them. In addition, facing the prospect of prosecution will undoubtedly result in the avoidable deaths of many women throughout the United States. Despite the right to having a safe abortion being removed, that decision won't stop abortions from taking place. As was the case prior to 1973, there will still be women having abortions. They will be unregulated and dangerous. Many of these women would die needlessly. After the judgment will likely be seen in some circles as his crowning achievement, Justice Alito has temporarily forgone the legal profession and taking up comedy at a keynote speech given at an event hosted by the Notre Dame Law School in Rome in early August. While his speech purported to champion religious liberties and freedoms around the world, Alito focused exclusively on the practice of Christianity and what were supposed to be quasi-humorous jibes about the criticism who received from world leaders for returning abortion rights in the United States. 
He clearly thought that the comments made about the court's decision was no business of theirs, but despite the temptation to do so, he was not prepared to be critical towards them. He was not going to talk about cases from other countries. I had the honor this term of writing, I think, the only Supreme Court decision in the history of that institution that has been lambasted by a whole string of foreign leaders, equipped, pausing for laughter from the audience, who felt perfectly the who felt perfectly fine commenting on American law. His comments were aimed primarily at President Emmanuel Macron of France and Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, both of whom criticised the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the 50-year-old right to abortion. Laughs were also garnered when Alito mockingly commented that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson had paid the price for referring to the decision as backward step and had coincidentally been forced to resign. That Johnson resigned due to a string of totally unrelated scandals that had engulfed his brief premiership went unremarked by Alito, possibly because he failed to see the humorous potential that was evident to almost all the Europeans. Alito also reserved special derision for Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex. Although he was not specifically mentioned by name, what really wounded me, what really wounded me was when the Duke of Sussex addressed the United Nations and seemed to compare the decision whose name may not be spoken with the Russian attack on Ukraine. Alito said, to which the audience reacted with a few awkward chuckles and groans as if both they and Alito didn't actually know what was being referred to or what a dirty war on the fringes of Europe had to do with the Supreme Court's decision. This was a misinterpretation of what the Duke of Sussex actually said, which was from the horrific war in Ukraine to the rolling back of the constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom, the cause of Nelson Mandela's life. Hot on the heels of Alito, on this side of the Atlantic, and one of these men blessed with odors of the right stuff is one Danny Kruger, also referred to as the womb policeman, who had recently waded uninvited into the debate on abortion. He is a conservative MP, an old Etonian, a self-appointed authority on wombs, reproduction and female well-being. In other words, an overall aspect on all things involving female bodies. Until very recently, Kruger was primarily known, if his name was recognized at all, as the son of celebrity chef and TV presenter, Prudlith. Although it would be unfair and discourteous to drag her into this particular discourse. That Kruger isn't going to get pregnant and require a termination anytime soon is not going to be a topic for sophisticated and intelligent debate at undergraduate level or below anytime soon. Advice to women on their mind, body and soul, especially their bodies and in particular 
wombs containing a fetus has been consuming a lot of Kruger's time at the expense of all his constituents. Other concerns, for example, how they are going to pay the heating and food bills this winter. In June 2022, Kruger speaking during a debate on the removal of pregnant women's constitutional right to abortion by the U.S. Supreme Court and in agreement with Justice Alito said that he didn't understand why the U.K. was lecturing the United States on the judgment, adding, they think that women have an absolute right to bodily autonomy in this matter. However, I think that in the case of abortion, that right is qualified by the fact that another body is involved. Getting into his stride, Kruger, who opposed the discriminalization of abortion in Northern Ireland and against buffer zones outside clinics offering abortion, continued. It says a very, very terrible thing about the value we place on an unborn life if we simply say that it should be determined by whether or not the mother would like to keep it. He later tried to qualify his remarks by giving the impression that he wasn't advocating female misery and suffering for potential improvised mothers-to-be, nor implying that women were too incompetent to make judgments concerning their own bodies. A concerning number of Tory MPs have expressed the opinion that they want to make it as difficult as possible for women to have an abortion by effectively using their parliamentary platform to promote a policy of continual shaming and guilt-tripping to get across the message that female reproductive autonomy is not a right, but a gift that is subject to continual revision. What these predominantly male MPs have in common with the buffer zone zealots is that they feel they have the right to not only dictate to women as to what they can do with their bodies, but also to torment and mentally and verbally abuse them in the process. As the Court of Appeal judgment stated when upholding the decision by Ealing Council in London to create a buffer zone, privacy was being seriously invaded at a time and place when women were most vulnerable and sensitive to uninvited attention from anti-abortion extremists. It is often the case that what starts in the U.S. often travels east to Europe, and in particular the U.K. The right for women to access abortion is enshrined in the legislation in most European countries, yet these hard-won rights can very easily be lost when retrogressive legislation is introduced, as can be seen most recently in the U.S. and prior to that, in other countries where even more draconian powers outlawing or severely restricted abortion rights have been enacted. The rise of right-wing parties pursuing a populist agenda has increased across the world in the past few decades and minorities and women's rights in particular have become increasingly threatened. An article of oppression in right-wing agencies where abortion by some warped logic is linked to prostitution, gay rights, contraception, all forms of deviance and immorality. Abortion has been legal in Great Britain since 1967 and was eventually legalized in Northern Ireland in October 2019. Yet, 
Due to a legal anomaly, women in England and Wales who have suffered miscarriages or stillbirths are being investigated by police on suspicion of having illegal abortions, with some forced to hand over their phones and laptops for evasive digital strip searches and detained in police cells for hours in some cases. In one case, in 2021, a 15-year-old girl who had an unexplained early stillbirth was subjected to a year-long criminal investigation that saw her text messages and search history examined. Police finally dropped the case after a coroner concluded the pregnancy ended because of natural causes. The Kane 1861 Offences Against the Persons Act says it is unlawful to procure a miscarriage using poison, an instrument or other means whatsoever. And those found guilty can be jailed for life. Yet, when the 1967 Act was introduced, this piece of Victorian legislation was not repealed. Therefore, any woman who had an unregulated abortion or tries to terminate her pregnancy without supervision is acting unlawfully and anyone assisting them can also be prosecuted. Abortions are only lawful in circumstances where two doctors agree that continuing the pregnancy will be risky for the physical or mental health of the woman. Campaigners and politicians say that legislation criminalizes women over a healthcare issue and deters some from seeking aftercare for fear of repercussions. The British Medical Association the Royal College of Midwives and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have all called for abortion to be completely decriminalized. So with the BMA saying the current punitive approach hampers the ability of doctors to provide supportive care. In cases investigated by police forces between 2016 and 2020, a number of potential offenses were recorded after women were reported to have taken abortion pills that had not been obtained from a medical professional. Although forces contacted said such reports were rare, in most cases, the women that the police investigated were not arrested or charged because prosecution was not considered to be in the public interest. In other cases, action had been taken with women arrested and charged and some investigations are still ongoing. Although it is unclear just how many are currently active, in all, in the 10 years to April 2022, police in England and Wales have recorded 67 cases of procuring an illegal abortion. Labour's Stella Creasy, MP, said people will be shocked to find out that women are being investigated for having a miscarriage or seeking an abortion in England and Wales. This is not a mark of a civilized society. Cases where women were suspected of inducing a miscarriage should be approached as safeguarding issues in most circumstances rather than criminal ones. She added that action was needed to enshrine access to abortion in law as a human right and is calling for it to be included in Britain's Bill of Rights, currently progressing parliament. She said cases where women were suspected of inducing a miscarriage should be approached as safeguarding issues in most circumstances rather than criminal ones.
Dr. Jonathan Lord, NHS gynecologist and medical director at MSI Reproductive Choices, said cases were often a fishing expedition and raised concerns that Google searches and messaging history could be weaponized against women. We urgently need to follow the lead of more enlightened societies such as Canada, New Zealand and Australia, which have decriminalized abortion so that women can have autonomy to make their own decisions about their own bodies and pregnancy loss is managed as a healthcare issue with care and compassion, not as a potential crime, he said. Dr. Edward Morris, president of the Royal College, said... Women should be free to have an abortion without fear of prosecution. He added, women who may face charges are often in desperate or vulnerable situations. The current legislation may further deter them from seeking the support and aftercare they need. It is our belief that prosecuting a woman for ending their pregnancy will never be in the public interest. To ensure that all women and girls are provided with support without fear of prosecution, abortion should be discriminalized, whilst remaining subject to the regulatory and professional standards of all other medical procedures. Such changes would ensure women who have suffered a miscarriage could not be investigated for criminal activity, he added. The criminalizing abortion is an act to protect the reproductive rights of women and girls, and prevent causing further harm through coral investigations. Dr. Aisha Kazliwal, president of the FSRH, said, All women should be able to access abortion services easily and without fear of penalty or harassment. The criminalizing abortion will help to remove stigma remove fear and reiterate to women that they have the right to control their own sexual and reproductive health choices. Abortion care is highly regulated and should solely be subject to appropriate professional standards in line with any other healthcare procedures, not criminal sanctions. In light of these revelations, many are questioning the police's priorities in investigating allegations of suspected false miscarriages and self-induced abortions when rape and sexual assault cases are at an all-time high and continue to rise. It is quite reasonable to assume that any woman may have needed an abortion for health or economic reasons or just in order to continue her life without undue inconvenience, that women no longer have an inalienable right to warn is undoubtedly a retrogressive step and a reversal of the gains of female emancipation. Women told what they can do with their own bodies is the ultimate misogyny as they have no right to choose what to do with their body. It's not owned by them but belongs to someone in a legislature, usually a man. Banning a woman's right to abortion is misogynistic and represents the ultimate control men have over them, the power to control fertility and procreation, aided and abetted by complicit women. 
The reasoning behind many pro-life organizations being opposed to women having abortions is that their perceived promiscuity in becoming pregnant outside of marriage is a punishment due because they didn't save themselves for their future husband on their wedding night. An unwanted child is their chastening for succumbing to an uncontrollable carnal urge. That a married woman becomes pregnant and a medical examination reveals that her baby will be stillborn or born with a debilitating illness and require constant care for his or her life is pulled down to the mother having seen in this or a previous life. In cases of incest, there has been an historical reluctance to blame a male relative, particularly as this would require the authorities to investigate the sordid underbelly of society taboos. By the same warped logic, the reason a woman becomes pregnant through rape is that she was dressed provocatively and therefore was asking for it. That she and her friends were out to enjoy themselves is immaterial in this argument that again denigrates the victim. Judging by the declamation from the anti-abortionists, it could be inferred that women were being forced to have a termination against their will. You put the babies in the womb, you will be held accountable. You put the babies in the womb, you will be held accountable. So the pro-life argument goes that the first part of this statement is not biologically accurate and omits any male involvement outside of virgin births. The second part of the statement is only correct if you happen to be a pro-life activist, male or female, where the underlying rationale is the women at the root of all evil. This attitude can be succinctly summed up recently in a rant from a 19-year-old Virginian man directed at a group of pro-choice protesters. You guys are demon-possessed. You are pure evil. The downfall of America is because of every one of you. Fire and brimstone raining down indeed. Sadly, even today the world is full of men dictating to women and telling them what to do with their bodies, minds and lives. From the so-called liberal and progressive countries in the West to the deeply conservative religious patriarchies in the developing world, women's rights are constantly under attack and any gains made have to be continually fought for to prevent the clock from being turned back. Retrogressive actions that can occur overnight in some cases. These antediluvian attitudes are vestiges from a bygone era, but are genetically and subconsciously permeated in many men's psyche as is lettering through a stick of rock. It was this attitude that was displayed in an episode of judicial jesting by Supreme Court Judge Alito's recent speech to where he quipped to a depressing large proportion of men worldwide, women striving for liberation, equality and the basic right to own themselves is perceived as, at best, a joke and at worst, a serious threat to masculinity. This frame of mind says a lot more than the deep insecurities that are embedded in the male perception of themselves as much as their inherited fear of women. The real issue here is, will these men feel happier, more satisfied and secure if women 
who just revert to being the forential, subservient, as they used to be in the so-called good old days, and just shut up banging on about their rights and let men get on with the business of being superior in charge and in control? The ultimate aim of the anti-abortionists is to impose their unequivocal views onto everyone else who doesn't agree with them. A conscious determination to tell women what they can and cannot do with their bodies. An underlying insistence that a woman's body is not actually hers and requires someone of higher authority to decide for them. And these superior beings are usually men and it is their right to demand authority over and above any decision a woman can make. In the US, a woman can pay taxes and pack a firearm, but she should not be permitted to make decisions regarding her own body. A dystopian and obsessive fundamentalism that is completely opposed to any opposition and free thought that contradicts their own beliefs is therefore perceived as a challenging threat to a stable society. That these same people fear any threat to their right to bear arms as a violation and intimidation of their freedoms is a hypocrisy that is either overlooked or plainly ignored. In the ultimate irony, in order to safeguard these hard-won rights, they are prepared to kill in order to protect them from being taken away. If you've enjoyed this episode, kindly subscribe, comment, leave a review, and see you on our next episode. This has been Grace Upper for Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. Raza! If you've got any questions or inquiries, you can get in touch rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com or our social media platforms rising above shadows of abuse at TikTok rising above shadows of abuse, Twitter rising above abuse, YouTube rising above shadows of abuse.